You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. But this morning, what we want to do is take a very good look at three verses that teach us and tell us really the core of who we are as a church. And it's really just all about preaching Jesus. So today, that's what I get to do. My favorite thing in the world is preach Jesus to you. So if you will, please stand. Let's hear from God's word in Acts chapter 2, verses 22, 23, and 24. Just three verses. And you find right here in the heart of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let's pray. Lord, I am thankful that no grave could hold you down. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will move in our midst today and reveal to us the precise, exact nature of our hearts. Lord, in this room, there are some who have been saved by your grace and know of your love. There are others who have not experienced that. And there are others who are just in doubt in every way. And so, God, speak clearly through your word, through me that we may hear from you, and Lord, that we may grow closer to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I believe that Acts chapter 2, especially this sermon of Peter's, shows us the spirit of preaching. And the spirit of preaching ultimately is all about Jesus. But when I was growing up, I grew up in rural America, and I grew up at a time, started driving at a time before GPS. And back in my day, if you were going out in the country to, to, to find something to visit with someone, here's how the uh, directions would go. Go about a mile out Pell Cemetery Road, turn right at the barn that's got the roof caved in, go another mile or two around the curb and up the hill across the creek and there you'll be. And the funny thing is, is we found places. We actually would arrive at the right place at the right time. Now today, things are very different. Today, when we tell our kids to go somewhere, even if it's familiar ground, they plug it into their GPS and you have arrived, right? That's when you know you turn off the car and park and then there you are. Well, when we go through the book of Acts chapter 2, it's rather interesting that the way Peter's been preaching, uh, he's not mentioned the name of Jesus once. In fact, it's not until verse 22 that we even have the name of Jesus, and then we have it again in verse 23. But this is interesting to me. It's almost like that up until this point, he's been giving directions to uh, his hearers that are more like those country directions. But now, here in this verse, we are honing in, and we are seeing that it is all about Jesus. If you look back at verse 21 with me, where we ended last week, you knew where we were going. It says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in the very next verse, he says to his crowd, men of Israel, because that was his crowd, 
hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Friends, you have arrived. When we get to that name, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, we have arrived. That is the spirit of preaching. That is the core of who we are as a church. We believe that it is all about Jesus. Yes, the church finds its beginnings here in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost is a launching pad for the church. But as we see here in this text, every time we talk about God, we must point to Jesus as the final destination of our souls. It is important when we are being a witness for Jesus that we actually tell people about Jesus. He is the center of all we do. It's interesting when you do what I do when you preach every week. There are days where I, I, I will walk away from a sermon and say, did I point people to Jesus clearly? Now, I, I, I don't think I was a heretic. I wasn't necessarily um, doing anything wrong. But it's easy sometimes when you get in a certain passage and you're trying to point out a certain thing and you're trying to get people to live a certain way and do uh, you know, what, what you think they need to do. And then you don't talk about Jesus. And I'm afraid that so often in preaching today, people hear good things and they hear encouraging things, but they don't hear about Jesus. We want you to know that it's all about Jesus. We know that Jesus, uh, I think if you're here and you've been in church a while, I mean, it's like, duh, yeah, I know that. But but is it really true that Jesus is at the core, at the center of everything you do? There's an old saying back in the ancient world that every, ro every road led to Rome. In Victorian England, uh, Spurgeon said one time, he said this. He said, every muddy path and every cobblestone street eventually makes its way to London. And then he said, and so should every sermon, no matter where it starts, end up at the foot of the cross. I believe that we need to see that every road, every road, and all of us came here on different roads, and I'm not talking about where you drove in your car, but every single one of you, your story, your background, your path in life, it's so, so interesting, I didn't have Nathan do this, but the, the John 14, 6 pa passage there, every one of you have been on life's journey, right? You've been on your own way, but I want to tell you, there's only one way, one truth, one life, and it's Jesus, and we're all needful of that knowledge. We need to come to him and have this focus for us today. So I believe that we have the exact coordinates today. We have exactly what we need to hear. We are focused on Jesus. And I pray that before you walk out of this room, you know that you have Jesus in your heart. So let's talk about this, this simple gospel presentation that we have in Acts 2. It all begins with witnesses of Jesus's power. Now, I want to mention this because not only does verse 22 mention this, but the reality is, is that the people that Peter is preaching to, these are people who had probably almost all of them either heard Jesus or many more of them had probably seen him do miraculous things. And so the timestamp, if we want to put a timestamp on this sermon, let's keep in mind that it's within six weeks of the ascension. So ostensibly what we have here is this is not far removed from the ministry of Jesus, but this is in close proximity to the preaching and teaching ministry of Jesus. That's important for us here. In, in, in particular, notice Peter says this, that the audience, those that he's talking to, have literally attested the mighty work and wonders and signs that God did through Jesus. He is reminding them of what they have seen. 
Now, when I'm preaching to you today, we're several uh, millennia, two millennia removed from the preaching ministry of Jesus. So none of us have heard his voice uh, when he was here on earth necessarily. We've not uh, watched with our own eyes miracles, but these people have. And notice the language, you yourselves know. Look at that in the passage. It's so interesting there at the end of verse 22. So God did these powerful things through Jesus. And Peter points out at them and says, you know it. You yourself, every one of you, you know this has happened. And here's what's crazy and what better grab your attention. People can see God's power and not be moved. That's what's crazy. Peter is pointing out here that only the Holy Spirit can open our hearts to the reality of who Jesus is. So notice what's going on here. He's pointing to these people. You've seen Jesus. You've seen the power. And yet you are not believers. I think today we need to realize that there is a problem in the church, not just in the world, but in the church. Many of us have seen God do amazing things, whether we had our eyes open or not, I do not know. But my guess is if you've been around church most of your life, you have been around some work of God. But that doesn't mean that you are a child of God. I think about this room a lot, not just the room, but the people that are in it, whether the first service or the second service. I love that now in the second service, I have people up in the balcony so I can see people all around me. It's so, so awesome to see a crowd of people in church. But I'll tell you, one of the things that bothers me uh, is that we can all be in church, but I know that many of us are really not plugged in to the service. Now, whether it's your phone that you're looking at right now or just the distractions that you have in your mind. By the way, the phone's a big deal, but most of us are just losing it between the ears because our, well, we've just got so much going on in our lives. And I understand from time to time that, that that happens, but here's what I'm noticing. People come to church week after week, year after year, and they really don't seem to be touched by the music that is being sung. They're not touched by the sermons being preached, and I don't think that's up that's because the staff isn't doing their job. I think that there's something else going on. Years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, Thomas Watson, a famous Puritan pastor, he said this. He said that um, you cannot expect a person who is dead in their spirit to appreciate or enjoy the gospel. And this is the illustration that he used. This is a lovely Valentine's Day illustration, by the way. Because at Valentine's Day, we always have candy, right? That's a big part of it. He says, you know... It's like putting a cherry cordial in the mouth of a corpse. So much for the Valentine's Day illustration, right? Now think about the absurdity of that illustration. And then think about the absurdity of being in worship for years on end and never being excited about Jesus. Here's what the Lord was speaking to my heart this morning, and it was a scary thought. One of two things is going on in the average person in worship week after week, month after month, year after year. Worst case scenario, you're here, but you are not alive in Christ. You do not know Jesus. You may have some Jesus trappings. You may have the facade of Jesus. You may have convinced other people that you're a Christ follower. But when there is no passion in your heart uh, for worship, when the word isn't speaking to you, when you do not have compassion for others, it could be that you are a spiritual corpse. The only other option, if you have not felt the power and the flow of God's love in a long time, the only other option is, is that you are in a spiritual coma. 
that you have, have because of life and because of choices or just because of things that have happened to you, you have been uh, numbed to the power of God. And it's been so long since you have really felt the power of God. I would call that a spiritual coma. You are not connecting with the power of God. Now, I look again at this text, and I see that this is not an impossibility. How can it be any different? If there were those people who saw Jesus perform miracles, heard him teach, and still didn't believe, how is it that we would think that people today could be in church for a long time and have a similar predicament that they don't know who Jesus is? Clearly, these people didn't believe in Jesus up until this point, because later on, we're going to see that they repented, and they came to faith in Christ. And I believe if that can happen back then, it can happen today. You see, God used the facts, the reality that this man Jesus was alive, that he did powerful things, that he was crucified, and that he rose again. Those facts are what Peter builds his sermon on. And I want you to know, church, we can have a lot of good things going for us. We can have good preaching. We can have great singing. We could even do healing services. We can have every modern convenience or and or contrivance and not do anything for God. If the spirit is not touching hearts and not making us alive in Christ, all of this will be for naught. But there's this man, Jesus, who can change everything. This man, Jesus, who really lived. Notice that Peter says, it's interesting to me. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. Why does he mention Nazareth? You ever heard of Brookport, Illinois? Probably not. It's where my hometown is. Just a few hundred people. So in Jerusalem, the town of Nazareth, though it's world famous now, if you would have said the town Nazareth, nobody would have known it. Scholars tell us there was no more than 400 people living in Nazareth in that day. So Peter was not name dropping. Like if you say, I'm from New York City. You know, in Texas, they're going to beat you up. But anywhere, anywhere else, maybe... Maybe that's impressive. I don't know. But Nazareth? Does anything good come from Nazareth? That was the joke in the Gospel of John. Nazareth? But why? You see, Peter wants us to see that Jesus was a man born of woman, born into this world. He was raised in a nowhere town. He started low, and yet the mighty works and wonders and signs of God proved that he was more than just a man. That God's hand was on him. And Peter says, you saw it. Men of Israel, you saw it. Why does he point out men of Israel? Well, it's because the people in the crowd that were the Hebrew people, the Jews of that day, they had not only heard and saw Jesus, but they would have known the Old Testament. They would have known the prophecies. They would have been able to connect the dots from Genesis all the way to the Gospels. They should have known that it was Jesus, not just because of what he taught, but because of what he did. And what he did was mighty. Notice that word mighty in verse 22. It's a reminder that God's power that came through Jesus wasn't a firecracker of faith, but it was an atomic explosion of God's love. There was no doubt that Jesus was special, that God had visited his people, Luke 7, 16. That Jesus' presence pointed to a power from on high. Luke eleven twenty. Jesus was power. He was powerful. And he stood out among his people in his generation. And he stands out in all generations. I'm, I'm just kind of flabbergasted at how the world today 
is always taking shots at Christianity, saying that we're irrelevant. But boy, Jesus sure gets under people's skins, doesn't he? For a guy who preached love and peace and judgment, don't get me wrong, but it seems like the world just sure goes after him. I'll tell you why the world goes after him, because there's nobody like Jesus. He stands out. And when something stands out, the world's going to take shots at it. I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Amen? Amen. I believe he proved it with power. And I believe that that power is something he wants to share with you. Jesus has all the power you need. And what's keeping you from the power of God is the sin in your life. Sin makes you powerless. But it is the Savior who restores your power. Powerless Christianity is a contradiction in terms. Lifeless Christianity is a contradiction in terms. It is not okay that you have not felt the pulse of the work of God. It's not okay. When I was a young pastor, I got to know some funeral home directors. Some of the funniest people I know are funeral home directors. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? You ever had, if you ever have a funeral home director come up and shake your hand and check your pulse, just know that's not a good thing. I'm trying to drum up business. You get that? Well, as funny as that isn't, um, I was thinking about what if I could come and shake your hand and feel your spiritual pulse? What would I feel? Would I feel the beating heart of a believer? Or would the pulse be weak and almost undiscernible? Or is there no pulse at all? I, I, I worry for the church today, not just because so many of us seem to have a, a, a very mild version of Christianity. It makes me think that many of us don't have Christ at all. Because the power that is revealed through Jesus to the church is a power that we should have exhibited in our lives. Instead, it seems like most of us are living in fear, living in doubt, and certainly in the doldrums most of the time. I'm not saying life is easy. I'm not saying the journey is going to be a cakewalk. But I am saying that if you can go for months and months and months and not hear God speak to your heart, feel God moving in worship, please don't assume that things are okay. I'm okay. You're okay. No, we're not. We're sinners. And the more we sin, the less we feel the power of God. And I fear many of us haven't felt that power in a long time. Awake, O oh sleepers, and arise. Ask yourself right now, right now, when was the last time I felt the pulse of God, the power of God? He is mighty. He has signs and wonders. He has more for you than you've experienced. How do I know that? Well, because of the cross, Jesus was crucified by sinners to save sinners. There's a little bit of irony in that sentence. And for generations, I've noticed Christians wrestling with the tension between God's sovereign will and our free will. In fact, as a pastor, I think I've had more conversations about this. I've read more books about this. And after 30 plus years of studying and reading, I don't know if I know any more about this. But let me show you why it's kind of tough. And it may be beyond our ability to fully fathom. Look at verse 23. Because in this verse, I think we see a perfect melding of the sovereign will of God and 
the free will of man. Notice this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And notice this next sentence, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Notice these words, this Jesus delivered. In the original language, that word delivered is a little stronger. Delivery sounds like getting flowers on Valentine's Day. Deliver in this context means executed. Executed. This Jesus, you executed, sounds a little different now, doesn't it? According to the definite plan of God. Notice, delivered or executed. Definite plan, foreknowledge. These are all words that state that God knew exactly what he was doing. That Jesus was sent and God knew, the Heavenly Father knew, that the world would crucify him. God was not surprised by the crucifixion. But notice the responsibility of man. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now this is really interesting. The hands of lawless men? Well, what that means is more accurately, maybe a little bit more clunky in the translation, but what it means is, is men without the law, which would be the Romans. So Peter is saying, you may not have driven the nails into his flesh. I know the Romans did that, but you set it up. You made sure because you didn't receive him as your Messiah. So notice what's going on. What's going on? Is this about the sovereign will of God or is it about the free will of men? No, it's both. It should come as no surprise that every sinner will be held accountable for their individual sins. While at the same time, it should come as no surprise that God knows the course history will take. God knows what we're going to do. And this tension, we have to live with this because God knows the plan. But here's the good news. He reaches into the plan and rescues sinners from their sins. Hear this. God is right now breaking through to you. He wants to break through your sin and rebellion. He knows the direction you're going and he is reaching in. And this is amazing. Remember, Jesus was crucified by sinners to save sinners. Jesus was willing to save the very people who crucified him. And I believe that he is willing to save you from your sins as well. We must own the sin and remember that Jesus owns the salvation. As Jonathan Edwards put it so eloquently, we bring nothing before God but our sins. That's what we bring in the equation to our salvation. We bring our sins. They have to be nailed to the cross. That is the only way we find forgiveness. And if we will allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives, then the cross becomes that beautiful picture of our salvation. Now notice what Peter's doing. He's pointing out what really happened in history. He looks at the people in his congregation and says, basically, you murdered Jesus. You crucified and killed him. But here in a few verses, verses 36 through 38, he calls them to repentance. Here's the message for you today. If Peter could, with a straight face, say, yeah, I know you killed Jesus, literally. Okay, you guys were responsible. Maybe some of you were even crying out, crucify him, crucify him before Pilate. Yeah, you. He's pointing at them and saying, but you, if you will turn from your sins, you can be saved. How awesome is it to think about that if God can do that for those individuals who were guilty in a more direct sense, would do anything for us. No matter what sin you have committed, I want you to know if you nail it to the cross, you will carry it no more. That's the power of the cross. 
We preach Jesus because no one else in the universe, no other philosopher in the world, no other religious system in the world is saying something this bold, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you will come before the cross and give it to Jesus, he will take it away. That's the gospel. That is what we preach. Sin is a big problem, but Jesus' solution is bigger still. Romans 8.32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen to me, church. I believe that God wants to give you more power, more joy, more love in your ministry, more, more uh, excitement in your relationship with God. If he was powerful enough to save you from your sins, dear brother, dear sister, he is powerful enough to energize you and to give you spiritual vitality. I'm tired of churches that are sleeping giants. It's time for churches to be awake and filled with love. The power that we talked about just a moment ago, signs and wonders. All those signs and wonders were amazing. People coming back to life, people who were blind seeing again, those were amazing. But I want to tell you, the most powerful thing Jesus brought to this world was his love. His love for you. And only the Holy Spirit can awaken, awaken your heart to see that that love is for you. That Jesus died for you. And the end of the story, Jesus was raised again for you. I know it's hard to look at the world and the news and not be discouraged. Whether the war in Ukraine that is near a year old, it's so hard for me to fathom. How many tens of thousands of souls have perished? Military, civilians, people who this time last year were living their lives and hoping for the best. And the worst has come. I think about so many souls in Turkey and Syria. Someone threw out a number this morning of 28,000. The last number I heard was 22 and that was two days old, so 28 sounds probably about right, if not more. I mean, loss on that scale is so hard to fathom. If we look at the injustices of the world, we see people who are haters of God and, and are worshiping the devil right before our very eyes on national television. And we just say, why? why? Why do that? Why behave in this fashion? It just seems like there are so many things that we as Christians can just throw our hands up and, and give up. But I don't want you to give up. Every time that there is pain and suffering in the world, every time we see pictures of rebellion, those are, in my view, cries for help. We must not get angry or despondent, but we must believe that God can use us and work through us. I want to tell you, Jesus died on the cross. That is the most unjust thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. If there was one guy who didn't deserve what he got, it was Jesus. But he took on the cross, and because of his perfect life, he rose from the grave. And I want you to know this, when we face injustice, when we face the difficulties of this world, the pain and the darkness and the death, I want you to know that we have a power greater than the power of pain, darkness, or death. We have the power of the resurrected Christ. 
We do not have to fear, brothers and sisters. If you will let the Spirit awaken you, if you will believe that your sins have been nailed to the cross, if you will believe that the power of Jesus' resurrection is your power to share, we will push into these dark places. We will be light in those places where there is nothing but hurt and pain and suffering. We will have our lives count for the kingdom. And I'm not talking about chief's kingdom, sorry. Those of you wearing number 15. Talking about a bigger kingdom. Oh, God is so good. He is so powerful. Why are you so weak? You see, God understands injustice. Our young people are fighting against injustice. Everywhere they see injustice, they're pointing it out and, and saying it's wrong. The problem is, is, it's easy to point out injustice. It's another thing to change it. I know a lot of people that are smart enough to point out the problems. But we have a solution. The solution is what Jesus did. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That word pangs can mean a couple of things. It can mean the, 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 the pain that a woman feels in childbirth. It can refer to that. Or pangs can be the picture of being wrapped up in like chains or ropes or cords, being tied down. You see, death is something that, that hurts, something that ties us down, something that robs us of something precious, which we call life. But what we have here is this promise that Jesus came and defeated death, that the cords, the ropes, the chains of death are defeated. Death could not hold Jesus. And when you have Jesus in your heart, death can't hold on to you. We need to hear this message, and we need to remember this. Every time we start to get down, every time we feel an ache in our body, or we feel an ache in our soul because we're beside someone at a bedside where someone is passing away, that's pain, that hurts, but that's not the last word. The last word is not the pain. The last word is not death. The last word is Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, and it's with that power that we will change the world. Jesus rose from the dead never more to die. And we believe that. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow, the old song says. We must reach up to the one God, to the one, Jesus, who has been raised up. We must reach up to him and ask God to give us power. Let me say again, I'm tired Sick and tired of a powerless church. Oh, friends, I, I want you to realize that the GPS, the destination, is Jesus. That right now you need him. This Jesus of Nazareth, he, he was the one who walked on this earth. He left a footprint, as it were, on history. <laughs> a big footprint. He is real. Many of us are not living our lives as though he was real. The mighty works and power of God are absent from your life. You see, Jesus died on the cross to give you forgiveness of sins. And then he rose from the grave so that the power of resurrection life could be in you. This morning as I was doing the invitation and leading in the invitation, this image came into my mind. I'll share it with you now. I'm sure you've watched those TV shows that are that take place in hospitals, you know, ER or whatever, those kind of shows. 
Inevitably, we've all seen the scene where a guy comes in or a gal comes in. They're laying on the table. There's no life in them. And they say, okay, get out the pads. And they put the, the crash pads on them. Boom, you know, hit them with electricity. The body jolts. Now do that a couple of times. Because if, if the person came alive on the first time, that's not drama. You know, we got to have good TV. And by the second or third time, beep, 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 happy ending. I think the book of Acts is kind of like those, pa those pads that bring electricity. I think the Lord is trying to wake up his church, either out of a coma or some of you just out of death itself. And I feel like that on a day like today, you're getting another chance that you're here today and that energy, which is the Holy Spirit saying, Jesus is Lord, it's here. And your mind right now, you, you know that for a long time there's been a gap, something missing, something dull, if not dead, in your heart. I'm praying that that energy will come. And it can only come from the Spirit of Christ. You see... Peter preached this message to sinners that were dying in their sins, who were guilty of terrible things. And yet I believe some of these people, 3,000 to be exact, will meet in heaven. We'll meet in heaven if we will turn from our sins. Stop coming to church and just feeling nothing. The only way that that changes is if the electric, dynamic power of Jesus enters into you. And I want to invite you to do that. As we wrap up with this invitation, we're inviting you to walk away from your sins and walk to that power. Some of you for the first time, but others of you who are in that spiritual coma, God is speaking to you. You know who you are. You know it's been a long time since you felt the joy of the Lord. Come to Jesus. Come to him now. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.